0: Very often, many of you write to me that you like some storytelling, particularly storytelling about what I might have covered in the past or the major turning points in our history that I might have witnessed. There are also turning points in our history, which I might might not have witnessed, but I might have some understanding of, or I might have had some opportunity of covering them or writing about them in the course of time as a journalist. That's why on Cut Clutter, occasionally, very occasionally, we break the rule of focusing on the top of the mind news story of the day to look at something which may not be happening now, may have happened earlier, but which there is a lot of curiosity about or which it may be useful for all of us to know more about. Usually, these are things which I might have covered as a journalist in the past. We That's why we featured... I think three parts, three parts of what happened in 1984, Operation Blue Star, then the massacres of six after that, and some other, some other events that happened in that very newsy year. Similarly, we did a series on troubles in Sri Lanka. Troubles in Sri Lanka leading up to Rajiv Gandhi's assassination. And in the same way now, in this episode, we are talking about yet another major turning point in our country's history. That happened so far back that I obviously had no opportunity to cover it as a journalist or even even in the decade after it ended. When this happened, I was only five years old. This was 1962. The Battle of Rezangla that we keep hearing about almost every year when its anniversary comes and passes. That was the heroic battle. Sometimes it's been compared with the Battle of Saragadi where the Sikh regiment troops fought to the last man and last round or Thabmopale in the past in really ancient history or maybe nothing else, no comparisons are needed. Just the story of Rezangla by itself because 1962 was a war in which the Indian army did quite poorly. Of course, Indian political leadership did much worse and was responsible also for putting the army in that very disadvantageous Position. But the fact is that when we think of 1962, we think of retreats. We think of, we think of defeats, retreats, a lot of Indian soldiers dying. We remember Lata Mangeshkar and Logos and That was about sacrifice and retreat. We also, we also remember Jawaharlal Nehru almost in resignation saying, my heart goes to the people of Assam. So all of the stories we know, Sela, Bombdila, Tawang. The Rangzong, those are scars on our minds from 1962. But in that war, in that war, there was at least one major battle. There were a couple more, particularly, particularly in the eastern part of Arunachal, Balong sector and all. Those we'll talk about on another day, just like this. But today we are talking about Rezangla, the one battle that we are proud of, proud of and one battle that generations of Indians have learned to celebrate because that is where Kumao, troops of Kumaon regiment, 13th Kumau, they fought a company, Charlie Company, that is C for Charlie. Charlie Company of 13th Kumau fought to almost, almost last man and last round, protecting the hills, reaching protecting the hills and a crucial pass leading into Chushul Valley. Chushul Valley is very critical. It's very critical for India to hold. It's also very critical for the Chinese to take, particularly 1962 when the war was going on and they were making such quick progress in the eastern sector. This is where just one company of Indian troops stood up to them, fought to the last man, and probably delayed them long enough so then, so reinforcements could come into Chushul meanwhile, including a bunch of AMX light tanks at that point of time. Anniversary of Rezangla always gets some notice. There are some ceremonies held here and there, some memorials held here and there. People will tweet also about it. That that anniversary this year, however, drew less notice, perhaps because it fell Exactly on the eve of the big World Cup final. That is exactly a week back. So I thought this is a good time for us to talk about what happened at Rezangla and how do we know, how do we know what we are talking about? As I told you, I was five when this happened. That's because, that's because there is a lot of reading. I am a student of military history. I've been reading up everything that's available on 1962 and, and subsequent actions as well. But 1962 in particular, because there's a lot of literature available on that. And as we go along, I will also explain to you why we have more literature, why I think we have more literature on 1962 than on the subsequent wars where we decidedly did a lot better. This therefore is one more of those occasional departures from the regular CTC formula to bring you back a complex cluttered story from the past which stays relevant. As I just mentioned to you, it is sad but a touching fact that nations and militaries tend to have stronger, more durable memories of their defeats than of their victories. Maybe because victories, victories soon lose their euphoria in the inevitable economic aftermath of a decisive war, high inflation, arrogant victorious establishments and so on. See, the Israelis against Hamas right now. There is no there is no chance that the Israelis will not win this. At least tactically and on the ground, they'll win to the extent that they will control or of all of Gaza's territory. That all of the Hamas leadership will either be killed or they will go into exile. They will disappear from Gaza. That will be the tactical aspect. Strategically also, maybe they are able to keep Hamas quiet for a long time. Maybe they are able to deter Hamas. But think also but think also in terms of the price they are paying. They they are suffering casualties for a small country, country with a small population. These casualties are far too many. Israeli armed forces can't take that many casualties. Then they have called up three and a half lakh. Reservists, which means mostly young productive people. Diverting them, diverting the cream of their productive population has also greatly affected their economic activity. So that will, that will be a setback. At the same time, the expense of the war, the Israelis are now raising money all all over the world from wherever they can borrow. $50 billion worth of bonds they've already raised. That's what I read. That's what I read in Western media. So once again, I'm making the larger point to you that When you win a war, even when you win a war, the costs that visit you later sometimes make you forget the wars after the euphoria. If you want to see the Indian example, we have the post-1971 Bangladesh war turn of events in India. That led to 33% inflation finally by the end of 1974 and the emergency. This is a sobering example of the aftermath of a war you might have won. Maybe it is also because the pain of a military defeat sours our minds more, leaving scars that endure through generations. And it may just be that for generations, the loser wishes he could fight the same battle, the same war again, this time with different results. How many times? How many times? Tell me honestly, your hand on your heart. How many times have you... Try to think over the past week that how would you have done it or how could Indian team have done it if they got the chance of playing that final at Ahmedabad again. So this brooding and reflecting over a defeat is very much a human tendency. How else do we explain the wide interest in the war with China every anniversary? We don't see the same interest, same interest in the anniversaries of The 1971 war, next anniversary will come very soon, within a week from now, that's the Bangladesh Liberation War or the 1965 war. The war in 1962 had begun on a freezing morning several kilometers north of Tawang when the Chinese attacked the Indian 7th Brigade at Namkachu. That tragedy is described in great detail in Himalayan Blunder, a book by J.P. Dalvi, Brigadier J.P. Dalvi, who commanded, who commanded this brigade and was taken prisoner, the senior most Indian POW at any point of time. And later this battle or this disastrous battle was also described by Major General Ashok Kalyan Verma in his Rivers of Silence. You can see the jackets of those books on your screens. I'm sure these books are available somewhere. Looks like Brigadier Dalvi's book continues to be in reprints. Major General Verma's also is a fairly recent book by comparison should be available. It is also curious how as nations and militaries reflect on the campaigns as disastrous as these, They tend to forget the few moments of true military glory and determination that they may have done well to cherish. But you know what happens when the big picture looks so bad, you don't particularly look for the silver lining or or the bright spark because you feel so low and so down. Again, you can only guess why or I can only guess why. Probably the argument that besieges our collective conscience would be, what is the point of talking of one incredible last stand here and there when the end result was a disaster? Or could it also be that we are so overwhelmed by defeat and debacle that we tend not to take seriously any talk of something different or maybe view with skepticism any story, any subplot that sounds a little bit different from the main script. The 1962 war, spawned more military literature and cinema than any other in independent India. It had to, as a defeat makes it very tempting for both those accused of failure and the accusers to explain. There has to be a reason why a bulk of the post-1962 books have focused on the Eastern Front, which was more or less a rout for India, unfortunately. There was the odd show of dogged defense on the Eastern Front, but everything was overwhelmed by the rout in coming sector, the self-destruction and flight of one of the finest divisions of the Indian Army, the 4th, proudly called the famous 4th. See the map of the eastern sector on your, on your screens. Namkachu, Tawang, Dirangzong, Sela, Bomdila. As you move north to south in what is now Arunachal Pradesh's west coming district are all imprinted on our national memory as distant exotic stations on that awful trail from which our forces only fled, usually in panic and confusion, leaving their best weapons behind, including artillery guns the strongest units of the Indian army without firing a bullet or almost so. Much of the post-1962 literature, Neville Maxwell's India's China War, Lieutenant General BM calls such as he was, Lieutenant General BM calls the untold story, B.N. Malik's Chinese betrayal, or Major General D.K. Palit, nicknamed Monty Palit, his war in the high Himalaya, All of these talk about the Eastern Front. Ladakh is mentioned in footnotes or in passing BN Malik, you might be wondering who was he because I mentioned the ranks of others. BN Malik was Nehru's all-powerful chief of intelligence bureau. I said all-powerful because until that era, India had only one intelligence organization, both for external and internal intelligence. And BN Malik was not just the head, the czar of intelligence bureau for a long time, but was also like, among Nehru's closest advisors. I read his books. Many of these books are a bit self exculpatory to say that I was not at fault, fault other people were at fault. But that besides in the course of time, sort of in very unusual circumstances, or maybe with reporter's luck, I got to meet B and Malik. That is when in the early 80s, story broke from Washington that in the past, That in the past, to figure out what the Chinese were doing with their nuclear program, CIA and the Indian intelligence ran a joint operation to plant or to position a monitoring device on Nanda Devi. That expedition failed and the device was lost. So when that revelation came from the US, I was assigned at India Today magazine. I was assigned to check if I could find some facts of what happened. So I then found out that BN Malik was around and he was living in Delhi in Vasant Bihar. So I did go to see him on my motorbike and he was so happy in his old age long after he had retired controversially in controversial circumstances because he was also blamed for the debacle of 1962 that somebody had come to meet him and i also and i also noticed that he was living in the house of hk barari who was then the director of intelligence bureau who was sort of his son-in-law and i had a long conversation with him and we Talked about many of the same issues of 1962. Of course, he wasn't going to go anywhere beyond what he had already said in the books. And when I wanted to know more about this expedition, he said, "Why are you wasting your time, young man, talking to me? Go and talk to your managing editor." So I said, "What does my managing editor know about this?" He said, "You know, Suman Dubey, your managing editor, he." used to be a well-known mountaineer and he was also involved with some of these expeditions everybody on this expedition in nanda devi was a friend or a colleague or a fellow climber of this so he knows the story much better than i do so you go back and ask him so i came back to my newsroom and confronted someone and said what the hell is this you sent me to find more stuff on this expedition you are the one i should be talking to That was an aside, I come back to the western sector and Rezangla. Front we read the least about was the western one. Surely Ladakh did not see fighting of the scale and incursions of the depth of the east. But could it be because our army fought that much better in the initial engagements with the Chinese? We now have it on the authority of some journalists, particularly my former colleague Pranabdal Dal Samanta, who scooped for the Indian Express a story on the Henderson Brooks Commission report, which was published in Sunday Express, 14th October 2012. We'll try and pull out the story for you from the archives. That generalship, that Henderson Brooks Committee report, Henderson Brooks Committee was set up or a commission was set up by, by Government of India to investigate what had gone wrong in 1962. It is also called the Henderson Brooks Bhagat report, because the other general who worked with Lieutenant General Henderson Brooks on this report was later Lieutenant General P.S. Bhagat. So this report, Henderson Brooks report, which is still kept classified, this showed as as this scoop by Pranab Samantha demonstrated, this report said that generalship, Indian generalship in Ladakh was of a much higher order than in NEFA, what was called NEFA than now Arunachal Pradesh. And the results showed that. Yet, places in equally high or in fact higher Himalayas than in the east, Sri 1 and 2, Sri 1 and 2 are actually the other side of Pangong Lake. Sri 1 and 2, Gurung Hill, Dolat Big Oldi, Spangur Gap, Chushul and most importantly, Rezangla never made such an imprint on our minds as say Thagla, Sela, Dirangzong, Tawang, etc. did. Bomdila. And these names and their memory has also been erased from our minds through these decades. Yet these are places usually between 15,000 to 18,300 feet where small detachments of the Indian army fought sometimes to the bitter end. Yes, they did mostly get overrun in the end, but they were never disgraced. They caused considerable casualties on the Chinese and probably dissuaded them from venturing deeper and crossing swords with larger bodies of the Indian army, particularly in Chushul Valley where artillery and tanks by this time had been deployed. A squadron of light AMX tanks having just been airlifted in a world record effort to Chushul airfield One of the highest in the world, probably probably the highest in the world then. Now, we have built a couple more which are higher than that. Even an incorrigible military history enthusiast like me had forgotten about what can only be described as a truly fighting frontier of 1962 until a tragic Personal event took me to Rivari district in Haryana many years ago, more than a decade ago. Rivari is 100 kilometers south of Delhi or maybe 120 kilometers south of Delhi. My old driver Ramkumar, so much a member of my family, died of a sudden heart attack and he took me to his village. He was an Ahir as the Adhabs are generally known in Haryana and the Rivari Mahindragar districts are their homeland. It is then that while passing the Ribadi town, a tiny memorial by the roadside, a tiny memorial in disrepair by the roadside caught my eye. Lost in shrubbery and garbage, sadly then, was a tiny column of rock, column of stone with the names of 114 soldiers, 114. Soldiers of the Charlie Company of 13 Kumau Regiment who perished in the Battle of Rezangla, their names were engraved on that pillar or, or, or that stone. But why a memorial to the heroes of the Kumau regiment in Rivadi? Because this was an Ahir company. Almost all those who died at Rezangla were were from a small cluster of villages right here in a region that's called Ahirwal in Haryana, the zone of the Ahirs. You cannot appreciate the full story until you know how many soldiers in the Charlie Company stood that morning of 18th November 1962 to defend Rezangla, a vital approach to Chushul Valley. The temperature that morning was recorded at minus 24. Remember, this was already late November. It was 120, that is 120 soldiers, including the company commander, Major Shatan Singh Bhati. Of these, 109 died fighting. 109 out of 114. Five were wounded and taken prisoner by the Chinese. That, that completes the, that completes the count of 114. A few escaped later at night in the confusion as the Chinese licked their wounds. These were the wounded ones who escaped while the Chinese were herding them back as prisoners. They escaped in that confusion. Some of them did. Among those who managed to escape and tell the tale was then-sipoy Ramchandra Yadav, the Major's Batman, what would now be called a Sahayak, and radio operator as well. He was tasked with concealing his brilliant officer's body so the Chinese wouldn't find it, which he did successfully. He led a joint international Red Cross and Indian Army expedition the following February to the exact spot where Major Shatan Singh awarded the Paramit Chakra later, by the way, posthumously, where he lay between two boulders buried by him under snow, a patch of frozen blood and a white mitten kept as a marker so the body would be found. 11 years ago, on the 50th anniversary of Rezangla, Sipoy Ramchandar along with Sipoy Nihal Singh, a fellow survivor of that battle, they agreed to come to Rivadi to tell me that 50-year-old story on camera for a two-part walk the talk show on NDTV, I will also share the link of those walk the talk episodes with you. You can, you can watch them. I will also share, I will also share the text, the edited text of those conversations. Nihal Singh manned a light machine gun with the major's party. He was the last man firing until a Chinese MMG burst went through both his elbows. He was taken prisoner and escaped in the chaos despite his fresh wounds. Many have compared this battle in terms of the sheer doggedness to the great other great and losing last stands in military history, Thermopylae, Saragadi, involving our own Sikh regiment, Waterloo, Incheon River in Korea, and so on. But for a long time, this story was not believed. In that two-part Walk the Talk interview, both these veterans told me on camera how, for years, they were ostracized by their fellow villagers, asking how they had escaped while the rest died. Mare ke Ab, baki you must be cowards that you abandoned your own mates and you escaped. Everybody died. How come you survived? The late General Sundarji had once lectured me on a drunken night on a track to conference in Salzburg in Austria in the summer of 1994 on the Indian Army's remarkable blessing of small unit cohesion. It was late night when some of us were trying to kill a bottle of whiskey with him. And, and somebody raised the question. Look at the Pakistanis. The Pakistani army has the Islamist fervor. What does the Indian army have to match it? He said, I acknowledge that Islamic fervor is, is something that the Pakistani army has. And we don't have any religious fervor. And we don't need it. And why do we not need it? Because he said the Indian army has another gift which nobody can match. And that gift is called small unit cohesion. Then he explained what does he mean by small unit cohesion. He said, and his idea of small unit cohesion was that people come from very often the same communities, the same castes, the same ethnicities, but even but even more so from the same village. They may be cousins. When they come home, they don't want others taunting them and saying, Are toh toh aagaya, you come back, but where is my son? You left him behind. So Indian Army has that special gift of small unit cohesion. Now, you look at the casualty list of Rezangla to understand what Sundarji meant. Most men in the Charlie Company were neighbors or relatives. In one remarkable instance, two brothers and their sister's husband died fighting in the same company, same Charlie Company of 13th Kumaon Regiment on Rezangla. Only the company commander was a Rajput from Jodhpur Ibhati. And I now quote Ramchander on this and you will see some of these quotes run on your screen from that from the text of that Walk the Talk interview. Ramchandar said, and I quote, his name was Shatan Singh, but he was a Devta. He said, don't call me Bhati, call me Yadav. He also told them as the overwhelming dimensions of the Chinese attack became evident that none of them was to even think of anything but fighting because their orders were to hold out for as long as possible. I would be the wrong person to describe the battle of what followed. The finest research and the most accurate account of the battle is to be found in Amrindar Singh's Yes, the former Punjab chief minister. His remarkable book, Lest We Forget, which dedicates its entire fourth chapter to 13th Kumau and the battle of Rezangla. It wasn't until Indian patrols returned the following spring that they found evidence that confirmed the stories of the three immediate survivors, almost all the bodies, 103 in the first instance, six were found later, almost all the bodies, weapons frozen in hand, all ammunition clips empty, some bodies inside their trenches, many outside cut down by multiple bullets and bayonets in hand-to-hand combat. Amrinder's book has published some of these stirring pictures. And Chinese casualties? The memorial column at Rivadi says 1,300 dead. Amrinder's estimate, based on the army's detailed inquiries with villagers and herdsmen who saw the Chinese take away their dead and the wounded over several days, is between 500 and 1,000. So Ramchandar says that he saw Chinese bodies heaped like fruit or watermelons in a mandi and and to those who doubted his claims he has had the same answer since his first debriefing at his headquarters and i quote ramchandar from that doctor talk interview now you put me at eighteen thousand three hundred feet with an lmg and try assaulting me from 5000 feet below me and see how many do i kill the defence of Ladakh was a memorable chapter of 1962 but has remained largely unacknowledged. One of India's finest war movies, Hakikat, was built around the Battle of Rizangla with a little bit of local romance etc. thrown in. So while most of the generals in the eastern sector went away in ignominy or disgrace, Brigadier T.N. Rana, nicknamed Tappy, who so resolutely led 114 Brigade in Chushul, including 13th Kumau, he went on to become one of our most decorated soldiers called a Mahavir Chakra and also Army Chief. Even now, at most military parades, you might hear a stirring composition from the army bands called General Tappy. That is to commemorate his memory. See the contrast between generals in the eastern sector and generals in the western sector. And the decrepit rotting memorial that I saw at Rivadi is now seeing better days. After all, 13th Kumau was posted for some time at Kota, not far away from Rivadi. And when I last heard, that unit, the parent unit, had decided to help the local citizens committees to it up and start a proper memorial company for Major Shaitan Singh and Charlie Company of 13th Kumau. But, but more importantly, in the last decade, much more awareness of our military history has come. And that awareness is also driven in no small measure by the building of a genuine national war memorial. It's a very touching memorial. If you live in Delhi, do visit it. If you don't, if you come visiting Delhi, find some time to visit it. it is, it's a stirring piece of military memorial architecture. And when you go there, also search. You go chronologically, go to 1962, go to November 1962, and you will then look for 13th Kumau. You will find Charlie Company. 13th Kumau and you can count the names and you can check out the names of all the 109 who perished on that morning as national heroes. And before I let you go, a couple of questions for me, important questions. As you might have noticed, the format of this episode of Cutter Clutter is quite different from our usual ones. So tell me, how do you find it? Plus, please also let me know, what do you think of the idea of occasionally, maybe once every few months, of going away from the day's news cycle and looking, looking at some of these more important events of our lifetimes and in our lived history. And the third thing this does is, this format takes us closer to the podcast genre. What that does is, that gives us a little more time. So if you find this taking too much time, this kind of storytelling, do let me know. I always take your views very, very, very seriously.